In the holy name of Jesus, amen. At my last parish in Milwaukee, we had a day school with just shy of 200 students in a K through eight setting. Only about 10% of the students in this school were actually members of the church. Most of the kids came from a whole variety of backgrounds. Some were extremely wealthy white people. Some were extremely poor African-Americans. Some were extremely poor whites. And some were extremely wealthy African-Americans. There were Hispanics. There were people who were churched at different churches, non-churched people, all sorts of people from all over the city. It was a choice school, so with your voucher, you had a chance to go to school wherever you wanted. So it was not like our school was just a certain group of Lutherans from a certain neighborhood with a certain demographic. My job as the pastor, not only being the administrative pastor, but in terms of the school, was to teach middle school theology. There are some crosses in life that we have to bear. <laughs> but it was fun. I had about 68 students from 6th, 7th, and 8th grade and with all of these various backgrounds, I have to admit it was extremely difficult to gauge where they were at in terms of Christianity and spirituality and even just in life in general. Some of these kids came from broken homes. Some of them had two moms. Some of them had two dads. Some of them had to sleep in the dryer at night because there was drive-by shootings taking place. Some came from absolutely stable, fantastic families. In the midst of all of that teaching, occasionally on Fridays, I would come in and do a thing called Ask the Pastor. No real lesson, nothing really prepared. You all can sit here today and ask me anything that you want. And this became a very fascinating exercise for me, and it also became a very eye-opening exercise. Because... You might think, well, what are they going to ask? Why is the sky blue? Can God create a rock so big that he could never lift it? Or whatever else it is. You know what the number one question that was asked of me in those classes? It was all about the devil. It was all about demons. It was all about evil and darkness. No joke. These kids who would make fun of me for being the pastor who would laugh about a whole variety of things. So I had trouble at times trying to gather together to learn something. When it came time for Ask the Pastor, oh, we've got our question. And they were very serious about this. Pastor, I saw something on YouTube the other day where people are walking through an abandoned house and they're talking to spirits that they hear through these devices. Pastor, my cousin got this game that uh, looks like a Ouija board. They bought it at Walmart, and we played it, and some weird things have happened. Pastor, I was babysitting the other night at a family who I regularly babysit with, and each night that I go over there after the family leaves and I'm with the children, I hear things, things upstairs, noises. And I talked to the parents when they came back the other day, and they said, yeah, we hear those things as well, and we don't know what's causing them. Pastor, I see things at night 
see things that are dark, see things that are cold, see things that are frightening, that, grieve, that keep me up at night, and I don't know what to do. Well, kids, let's sit here and talk about the devil and why the Bible talks about the devil and how you can avoid the devil and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are serious things. And this was no laughing or lighthearted matter. I had one student who came into the school psychologist's office who was seeing terrible things, horrible things, and the school psychologist called me up over at my office and said, please come over, I don't know what to do. And it was, it was startling, I must say. Do you realize, over the last three weekends, in the season of Lent, we've talked about things like temptation, we've talked about things like healing and baptism and other things, but also the first three Sundays in Lent are saturated with the devil and the devil's work. First Sunday in Lent is always Jesus' temptation by Satan. Last Sunday we heard about the woman whose daughter was demon-possessed. And today you hear about the confusion of who Jesus is. This isn't just simply that Jesus is your opinion, your thought in terms of who he is. This is out-and-out out opposition of Jesus, not just calling him sort of a nice guy or a teacher or a lovely man, but calling him the devil himself. And who is he being called the devil by? But by the clergy and the church of his time. They're the ones who are seeing what Jesus is doing, healing the blind, giving people who are lame the ability to walk, opening mouths and ears, showing compassion to those who are broken down by life. Ah, that's the devil. That's the devil's work. Absolutely. And yet, what does Jesus say today? If you are not with me, you are against me. You are antichrist, so to say. But getting back to these kids... How would you answer these things? You're a Christian. You sit in the church. You hear about the devil. You pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one in the Lord's Prayer. How are you going to answer that? Well, I don't know, Pastor. I guess we'd call you in and maybe have you talk to them. How are you going to answer those questions of people outside of this place that engage you? Or maybe even more so, what are you engaging in that is dark, that is evil, that is demonic? Do you notice it? It's fascinating because in the day and age that we live here today, everybody likes to paint the devil in the same sort of way. Red spandex, horns, pitchfork, pointy tail. Or if you're into some of the graphic novels, of superheroes or whatever else it is, something that is slobbering with razor-sharp teeth, multiple arms, breathing fire, whatever else it is. The world around us actually does acknowledge that evil and darkness, and yes, even the devil exists. James tells us in James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and they shudder. 
The devil, the demons even acknowledge who God is. And yet, who are we at times when we engage in the works of the devil? Do we acknowledge what is going on in and amongst us, around us? What is it that our eyes and our ears and our mouths are participating in with the devil? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. What does this mean? The word Lucifer means the angel of light, the bearer of light. The devil is not going to come across the way that Hollywood and all of your fantasy novels want to portray him. He's going to come across like a good, pious Christian. He's going to come across like a good, pious church leader. He's going to come across like somebody who truly, deeply cares for you and your life and your happiness. Actually, the Church of Satan, with their founder, Anton LaVey, that's the whole order that they go by. The love of yourself is key, is the rule of all love. That's the rule of the law. To love yourself as much as you love yourself. And what does our world today say about that? Well, hey, that's, that's pretty good. That sounds nice. Sounds like they're truly taking care of people. Be who you are. Be who you want to be. Don't tell anybody, have anybody else tell you who you should be. And there's nothing that seems like there's evil or wrong or dark about that. Do you recognize these things? I would dare say no, and I don't either. It's not as if you can see the devil a mile away. And yes, everything around us does point to the fact that the devil is real. Even in the old footages of the old movies and TV stories and whatnot that you see, there's always somebody who's being tempted to do something, and there's always that idea of the angel and the demon. The angel's telling the one not to do this, this is not the right thing, and the demon is constantly do, telling them to, to fall into temptation. And we laugh, we sort of chuckle. But do you realize what the devil also does as soon as you fall into temptation? The devil does not high-five you. The devil does not say, hey, add a boy, add a girl, doesn't give you a fist bump and say, way to go, you've made me happy. The devil turns right around and accuses you of what you've done wrong. I tempted you. I led you to do this evil, this darkness, to follow along, to say and do these things against God's will, and you did it. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You don't deserve God's love, mercy, or forgiveness. You are a horrible, wretched person. So it's not even as if the devil is on your side in the midst of all of this. His name is Satan, which means the great accuser. He leads you into his traps all to turn around and to cast you out of the throne room of God to be left for dead. Do we notice this? I dare say that these kids did, and they knew that something wasn't right. 
And so one of the things that I often told them, and it may sound very simple, would simply to be, stop. Stop. You don't know what you're dealing with. Stop. Get away from those things. Don't play those games. Don't watch those videos on YouTube. Don't try to act out something in order to conjure something up. These things are real. Okay. Guess what they came in next week and asked about? Same stuff. Same stuff. Week in, week out. I kind of felt maybe I should just written a Friday curriculum on the devil. But you and I as Christians today are sitting here today, and how many times do we look at this and cast sort of a passing glare saying, yawn, it's not a big deal. But yet Jesus himself encounters those who are possessed by demons. There are those who Jesus encounters that they know who Jesus is, even though they are demons. They know exactly who Jesus is. And yet, in many ways, we have a hard time knowing who the devil is. This is a struggle. This is a wrestle. This is war. And the war is going to look like, well, it's politically incorrect to say those things or to, to have an opinion about those things. It's politically incorrect to say that there's only one way or this is what God sees as moral and immoral. Don't say those things, Pastor, because people are going to feel uncomfortable. They're not going to come back to church. They may not necessarily view things the same way. But you have to be reminded in terms of this warfare what Paul says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We get so caught up on the individual, and yet we don't look at what's truly happening and going on around us. We get so caught up on what people might think about us, proclaiming the truths of Christianity, and yet we don't often think of what the devil is doing by taking others away except for the demons being cast out by jesus the bible doesn't really much say more about them yes they are powerful spirit creatures far less powerful than god but far more powerful than you and me they were created as angels to serve god but they soon chose vice over virtue rebellion over service to god and so they were condemned they were cast out of heaven. And as that war in heaven ends and they are cast out of heaven, they are not cast into hell, but they are cast here to the earth. That is why the book of Revelation says, woe to those who dwell on the earth. As you know from St. Peter very well, the devil is prowling around us like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he may devour. Timothy says that even in the church, and the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. What does this have to do with us today? Well, the third Sunday in Lent is called Oculi Sunday. 
means our eyes. It's a time where our eyes are opened up to the evil and the realities of what's going on around you. And yes, there is so much pressure, so much pressure against the church. Pastor, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful about these things. We can't condemn this group over that group or anything else. And I get it. I really do. But that also does not mean that we throw out everything that we have with the kingdom of God in our midst. The reality is, is as I talked about this past Wednesday, spiritual warfare is not necessarily about you and me and us going out to fight the good fight to take on Satan and everything evil in this world. Because in the end, you can't, you won't, you don't want to, and you're already immersed in it halfway through as soon as you realize that it's a fight. The reality is, is that we are opening our eyes today in an amidst that the devil is alive and real. And not only is he out there, but as Luther also says, that wherever the Christian congregation gathers together, the devil builds a chapel right next door. true. He's only concerned about you as the Christians, not the world. He's only concerned about taking you away from the holy things of God, just as the devil was concerned with keeping the Israelites under the authority of Egypt. And what did they say? We like it here. Yeah, we're under slavery, but we have meat. We have stuff to drink. We have a place to stay. They're not so bad, even though we're under slavery. Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? We're out in the wilderness. We've got no place to be buried. What's the matter with you? Is this what you have done out here to bring us out here to make us feel terrible, to be, to be under frustration all the time? We might feel that way as well. But here's the key. And you've heard this as well. Those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. Moses in freeing the Israelites is not coming up with a new plan against Pharaoh. God was already at work against Pharaoh in Genesis 12 when Pharaoh tried to take Sarai, Abram's wife, for himself. And God says, literally in Genesis 12, I'm going to strike down plagues because you tried to take Abram's wife. Even though Abram was the one who distorted his whole thing. That's not my wife, that's my sister. And he deceived Pharaoh. What you find in Exodus is the same thing. You remember when Charlton Heston went and did all the plagues in the movie and so forth? There are ten of them, by the way. And do you know why there's ten? Oh, I don't know, it just sounds like a nice even number. There's ten commandments. Well, no, those ten plagues reveal the ten gods of Egypt. They all had a particular god pertaining to a particular thing. The god today that you hear about, the lord of the flies, was the one who provided uh, winged creatures and uh, bugs to take care of everything naturally in the world. And what does God do? He provides the plague of the flies. This is fascinating. This should show us what spiritual warfare is all about. God is the one who's going to fight. 
God is going to be the one who will go in front of us, behind us, and with us to take care of all of the evil. All that we can do is to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What you see in the history of salvation is how God is at work here today. He would send a plague. The word plague in the Hebrew simply means to touch. And you notice what the magician said today? This is the finger of God. Notice what Jesus says today, how he, hand, he casts out Beelzebul. It's by the finger of God. You don't really think of the finger as being a mighty and high weapon. But it is for God. It's all that is needed to crumble Satan and his dominion over us. And this is what Jesus does. This is how we're going to wrap all of this up here today. Because in the midst of all of the demonic work, all the powers of darkness that the world is under, that you and I are under, Jesus continues to seek us out. And it's not prancing around like a little shepherd with rainbows and clouds and nice lush hills. He is going to war for you, and he will continue to go to war for you. He will continue to pursue you out no matter how much darkness, death, and violence you have immersed yourself in. Because he has already gone to war on the cross for you. It's not his finger. It is both of his arms stretched out to fight for you as he is being put to death. He will go on the warpath against sin, death, and the devil for you because you are his beloved. You are his bride. And woe to anything or anyone that would stand in his way. That's what Lent is all about as well. Though devils all the world should fill, all evil to confound us, we tremble not, we fear no ill. As we sang the first Sunday in Lent with a mighty fortress, one little word can overturn the devil. One little statement does even more. Jesus says it to you today. It's the most powerful words you could ever hear. I forgive you. The darkness, I forgive you. The toying around with the devil, I forgive you. The horrible thoughts, the deeds, the things that you see and hear about that you shouldn't be doing, I forgive you. The doubts, the fears of God and whether or not he's for us, I forgive you. The constant hounding of the devil and us falling into temptation, I forgive you. Over and over and over again and over and over and again. But this is not something that we make cheap. This is not something we say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do this and ask for forgiveness later. It is a battle. And we should open up our eyes to the reality of what's going on around us. You are not strong enough to take it on, and neither am I. That's why we have this community. That's why we have our fellow believers to pray for one another, to be with one another, to bear with burdens and joys and everything else in our path. But in and within all of that, Jesus, our great warrior, fights for us. He fights to the death. He fights to the resurrection. He fights to bring us out of this horrific, dark, and dying world to that home that he has prepared for us.
He fights for us to trample our enemies with our fearful memories, our present dangers, and the things that will tempt us to stray away in the future. The only thing that we can and should do is pray. And as Luther says, as I mentioned this past Wednesday, when you pray, lead us not into temptation, you are calling in the champion. The one who's already got the victory. The one who's already defeated these things for you. The one who will fight for you as you move forward. I don't know where those kids took all of that information. I don't know necessarily what has become of that. And it's probably not for me to know. But you know. I know. And I would pray today that God would continue to keep your eyes open to the dangers of this world that we encounter, and yes, that we participate in, but also to know that he has come with outstretched arms to forgive, embrace, and then hold you fast throughout all the days of your life. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever.